Welcome to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 90. So then guys, here we are with yet another edition of Star Wars Comics in Canon, and this time I am tackling the High Republic Adventures comics from IDW Publishing, but I am tackling the second volume of these comics. If you haven't joined before, then I will say that I'm going to go through each of the comics plot details and then mention a variety of connections to those, including certain characters or events or interesting species or planets or whatever. So you get a good idea of what's going on in the canon, both with the comics that I tackle and also a wider understanding of the canon as a whole. In addition, I tackled the first volume of the High Republic Adventures comics about four episodes ago, so episode 86 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, and in addition to that I tackled the Marvel-published High Republic comics as well, and I tackled the first volume of that back in episode 84 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, and then I tackled the second volume back two episodes ago on episode 88. So some information about these comics before we delve in. So volume two includes five comics, but I'm only going to be talking about four of them. So it includes issues six, seven, and eight of the High Republic Adventures, as well as the 2021 annual of the High Republic Adventures. But in addition to that, there's the free comic book day High Republic Adventures comic as well. Now, for free comic book day of 2021, I did go to my local comic book store and I went with Megan. We each got a nice little goodie bag, but we didn't get the High Republic Adventures comic. And so I don't have it. So I looked online for some information about it. And although the description says it's a must read, you can't really get it anywhere now unless you want to pay like 10 plus pounds to someone who managed to get a free copy and then is selling a handful of them on eBay. But I've looked at the story, it basically just seems to be like connective tissue from just after Race to Crash Point Tower that feeds into this somewhat. But these comics I'm tackling this week don't actually feature the main protagonists from the first volume, which was mainly Zine Morala and Lula Talasola. So they don't really feature in these, so it's not specifically relevant to my knowledge. But I did do a spoiler-free book review of the Race to Crash Point Tower book, which obviously, as I just mentioned, and that was released on the 5th of February, 2022. Uh, so if you're listening on a podcast app on the feed of comics emotion you can just go back to that date or you can just type in race to crash point tower book review and it comes up pretty quickly um, or if you're listening on youtube just go into the high republic playlist or the book review playlist and it will be in there and to elaborate even though it is a spoiler free book review i do spoiler free to begin with and then right at the very end i give lots of spoiler warnings and then tell people the general plot in case people do want to know so it's a good way to get a general summary of that book as well as my thoughts on it But anyway, back to this specific week. So issue number six came out July 21st, 2021. Issue number eight came out September 1st, 2021. And the 2021 annual came out December 15th, 2021. The writer for the High Republic Adventures is Daniel Jose Older. The artist for issues six and seven is Harvey Tolebeo. Pal Rodericks helped with issue 6 as well, and then Tony Bruno did the art for issue number 8. The colour artist for all of these issues is Rebecca Nolte, but with the annual itself, because it's short stories, each with a different author, and also artwork and etc., when I get to the annual, I will then go through all of those details. So with all that put aside, let's get on to the crawl of issue number 6. The Nile are temporarily subdued, but a Padawan's work is never done. 
Fasala and Quart join the crew of the vessel and travel to Nauhata for peace negotiations, but they must put their Jedi training to the test to preserve the peace and appease the huts. So right off the bat, there's a few connections to make here. Obviously, there's Fasala, who is a Padawan. He is a Zygerian, but I detailed the Zygerians back in Volume 1 of the High Republic Adventures, so check that out. And then Quart is an Aloxian, and I think I said in Volume 1 that in the subsequent issues, I think maybe in Volume 3 of the High Republic Adventures, you get a lot more information on Quart and his history and those sort of things. So I'll delve into that once we sort of get to it, so we're not jumping ahead of ourselves. And before I detail about the crew of the vessel, there's just one page of things that Fasal is thinking about. So he's thinking about a Jedi called Tal Bota. Now Tal Bota, he remembers seeing in the hollows along with Lula Talisola. And basically in these hollows, he fought the Sith single-handedly and he was actually pulling star cruisers out of the sky single-handedly using the Force. And I wonder if that's a reference to the game The Force Unleashed, which is now a legend story. You can also read comics of The Force Unleashed and I think a book as well. And it's basically Darth Vader's secret apprentice between episodes three and four it's my favorite legend story ever and star killer slash galen marrick is one of my favorite characters in all of star wars and one of the levels in the game is you playing as him bringing down the star destroyer using the force it is absolutely insane but it's amazing and probably one of the reasons they put it into legends is because he's so ridiculously overpowered maybe it doesn't really fit into the power levels of the canon but um i'll cross that bridge if and when another character has the strength to do that in the canon but we shall see and the point of the whole Talbota part of the story is because Fasala reminisces about how him and Lula would argue who would be the most like Talbota without realizing they would legitimately actually have to fight someday. And in this time of peace for the Jedi, so the last like seven to eight hundred years after the Sith were vanquished, the Jedi, aside from fighting like crime lords and like individual incursions and things, there wasn't really a big battle that the Jedi had to be a part of. So a lot of Jedi got trained in things and knew how to do things, but a lot of it was just about disarming enemies, deflecting blaster bolts, and I think they say in the High Republic as well that fighting each other with lightsabers was more of a ceremonial thing, because you don't really come across many beings in the galaxy that have weapons similar to lightsabers that can hold their own against them. You've got Beskar, and you've got certain vibro weapons, like vibro blades and things, like vibro staffs. Certain electro staffs are powerful enough to kind of go toe-to-toe with a lightsaber to some degree but most weapons like most swords and things you just try and swipe at a lightsaber and it'll just slice it right off so you don't really need to learn to fight in things so that's kind of what Vasala was thinking about where when they were younger there was no worry they were going to have to go into some sort of big battle which obviously is the opposite of the prequel era Jedi which is part of the reason for their fall but not going to get into that so currently you've got Fasala, Quart, Fasala's master, Obratuk and also the crew of the vessel. So the crew of the vessel, they are first introduced in the Into the Dark book by Claudia Gray. I did my review on that October 2nd, 2021 and detail some of those characters there. But if you haven't checked that out, shame on you, go check it out. But if you haven't checked that out, then the characters are Leox Gyasi and Afi Hollow, both of whom are humans, and they are ex-Bind Guild members. The book kind of goes into the detailing as to why they're no longer part of the Bind Guild. And then along with them is their navigator called Geode. Geode is a Vintian. He's basically like a big rock and the running joke in Into the Dark. And then he also appears in Fallen Star with the vessel crew. And generally in this comic as well is that people think it's literally just a rock. And it's meant to be this joke that you're not perceptive enough if you think he's just a rock. He's a living person. And the more you get to know about Geode, the more amazing he is. And he's one of the fan favorites of characters because the humor they use with Geode is just brilliant. And he does actually do a couple of things. So everyone is simping for Geode. 
And then we've got Master Obratuk Glee is his full name. Well, obviously his name isn't Master, but his name is Obratuk Glee, but he is a Jedi Master. He's introduced in these High Republic Adventures comics. He also appears in the Bake Off comic, which I'm going to be tackling, I think, in the third volume of these. And he's also in a few other future comics along with that volume. He's in the book Midnight Horizon, and he also appears in the Eye of the Storm number two, which I'll tackle that after I've done my Fallen Star book review. And obviously, I need to do that book review once I've done the Out of the Shadows book review, which I think I'm doing next week or the week after. But I'll tell you guys all about that at the end of this whole show. So Obratuk is a Parwan, that's his species. Now, you have actually seen Parwans before if you've seen the Clone Wars. There is a bounty hunter called Durone, D-E-R-R-O-W-N, and he's quite a fearsome bounty hunter. And then there's some sort of crazy doctor with cybernetics who appears somewhere else as well, briefly. But the Clone Wars, this Durone is the main person you'll have seen. He was first in the episode called The Box, which is when Obi-Wan goes undercover. He ends up getting recruited by Dooku. And Count Dooku pits bounty hunters against each other, including Cad Bane and a few others, to try and get someone to carry out an assassination attempt. So that's the plot of the episode The Box. And it's really good. It's a really cool episode of Clone Wars. But the species themselves, the Parwan, they live for centuries and some have even been noted to live past a thousand years. They have four leg tentacles as well as two arm tentacles. They have like a mushroom style head, kind of like a toadstool. They have got three eyes. They can fill up with gas and float and they could also generate electrical fields. They were based on unused concept for some of the aliens in the cantina of A New Hope. They're quite bizarre creatures. They're not like many others. And in the Clone Wars, the one, Durone, doesn't actually speak Galactic Basic, but it appears that Obratuk in this does. See, the Parwan species are quite a peculiar one. So you've got all these characters on the ship, which is called The Vessel, which Leox named ironically, and Obratuk is sleeping. They're heading to Nal Hutta to discuss diplomacy with the Huts. Now, Hutter is the Hut homeworld. You get to see it in the Clone Wars. I think I've mentioned it quite a few times, but I'm not going to delve into it here. But yeah, it's the homeworld of the Huts. And Nar Shaddaa is the moon of, or a moon of, Nal Hutter as well. And Nar Shaddaa comes up a lot in the Star Wars canon. So the reason they go in there to discuss a diplomatic resolution is because Myaga the Hut helped Avar Chris fight the Drengir. This all gets tackled in the second volume of the Marvel run of High Republic comics, which has said are tackled two episodes ago. And obviously the Huts are known as crime lords, so the Republic are trying to speak with them to try and ease tensions. They now need to kind of establish some sort of order. Now, this is Obratuk's speciality. He is a great negotiator, especially for peaceful negotiations. And as I said, he is asleep. It seems like he can't be woken up, no matter how much the Padawans try and wake him up. And then Leox says it may be due to hibernation, because the species, Parwans, they go into hibernation for long periods of time, when it connects to their homeworld, the homeworld has like massive, really, really long seasons. And even when Parwans have left the homeworld, sometimes if the planet itself goes into a certain season, it can make Parwans across the galaxy go into hibernation, which seems to be what has happened here. Fasala says that he knows Hutties, so he can go down and negotiate. So he goes down there with Leox while the rest of them stay on the vessel. They go down and meet a Nikto called Ishnar. She takes Fasala's lightsaber and Leox's blaster, and then they head planet side to meet with the huts. Meanwhile, on the vessel, Quart talks to Geode, and they seem to bond with each other. 
Now, to clarify, when Quart speaks, he's speaking in a language that we as the reader can't understand. Comes up the speech bubble and has what he's saying, but the font it is using isn't any language that's real, so you can't understand what it is. And I already said, you know, the running joke with Geode is that he doesn't speak, so when he and Quart seem to bond, it's quite a humorous thing, but also quite cute. Back to Fasala and Leox, they've gone down to meet the hut who's called Scarabdar. They're there to talk, and then the vessel's weapon systems then activate and then are aimed at the hut. The hut does not like this and gets quite angry, and then before they can do anything, the ship starts firing. Ishnar says to scramble the fighters, and then Leox and Fasala run away. They go down a small corridor and then run into a rancor. So a couple of fun things about rancors. So a group of rancors is called a crash of rancors. Dathomir is the homeworld of Rancors, but they are also found on Vodran, Felucia, and Tatooine. Although Vodran and Tatooine are in hut space, so I believe that they were kind of taken there by the huts, as opposed to that being the actual homeworld like Dathomir is. They often grow to 4.2 meters tall, which is about 14 feet tall, and they weigh 1,650 kilograms, which is around 3,638 pounds. They are semi-sentient, they are reptilian, they'll eat relatively anything, but they eat primarily meat. They were first in Return of the Jedi, they're in loads of other Star Wars content, and last thing to mention is that birds often clean their teeth, which I think is a reference to when birds clean the teeth of crocodiles in obviously real life. So back to the story, we've got Affy and Quart who are taken hostage by pirates, which explains why the ship shot down onto the huts and things. Geode appears in the cockpit, which freaks out this pirate pilot, and then the hut ships open fire on them. Back on the planet, Leox and Fasala are running away from the Rancor, and then they look out the window and see a Drengir. A Drengir vine then grabs Ishnar, and Fasala saves him by slicing through it with his lightsaber, and they confirm they don't actually know what is going on. So Ishnar said they will investigate while he imprisons Leox and Fasala. And the final parts of this comic, it goes back up to the vessel, and it shows that Geode managed to outfly all of the hut ships that were chasing them. Affy and Quart are now hiding as the pirates were distracted, and then the pirate says that Jabba the Hut says that no one gets out alive. And the final page shows that Fasala is in chains. He thinks about Tau Bota, saying that he knows many of the stories were made up, and that the lessons learned about fighting single-handedly isn't actually as cool as people think it is, because then it just means that you are alone. So that's where issue number six ends. So we move on to issue number seven. So issue seven starts with Fasala reflecting further on Tau Bota, realizing that he understands so little about the galaxy, thinking, you know, you want to go off in the universe and fight everything single-handedly, it doesn't actually work out how you'd want. He shows that Fasala is hanging in a cage, he thinks he's been there for around a day, he is afraid and he senses darkness around him. He thinks of Jedi that have passed away, which were noted in Light of the Jedi and the Rising Storm, and then also thinks about Yoda who is still missing. And he remembers his master saying that fear is not the enemy, and that's obviously his master, Obertuk. Meanwhile on the vessel, the pirates that were hired by Jabba want to ensure that the Jedi don't help the hut planet side, Scarabda, fight the Drengir. They then search the ship and it goes back to Fasala. So Fasala has a flashback where Obratuk tells him that fear is a good teacher. Each time that we feel fear is an opportunity to become better at overcoming fear. All people feel fear at some point. Back on the vessel, Afi manages to trick a pirate and smacks him on the head with a pipe. Then, back to Fasala, he thinks about Obratuk's lessons in death, and I'm just going to read out what Obratuk has to say. And I want to clarify here that Obratuk's species, a Parwan, they can obviously live for centuries, if not a thousand years, so I want to preface that before going into this. This conversation starts with Obratuk. 
Do you know why I carry so many lightsabers, young Fasala? And then Fasala says, uh, I always figured it was because you have so many arms. Obertuck laughs and says, No, each one was constructed in the memory of a Jedi Knight who was once one of my Padawans. Oh, oh no. When you live to be a thousand, young Fasala, you must learn to watch those you care about grow old and die. But this is what it means to be a Jedi. It means we see the bigger picture. Bigger picture? When someone dies, what do we say? That they become one with the Force. It's not just a metaphor or poem, young Fasala, to make us feel better. Their passing gives life to the cosmic Force, from which the living Force springs. The Force is real, yes? It moves through all of us. We feel it around us, hmm? Yes, of course. I miss them all, but I cannot be sad that a loved one has become one with the greatest power in the galaxy, because they remain with us, always, through the Force. Nor can I fear the moment that it happens to me. You see? I see, Master. And Fasala thinks, On the day death comes for me, I will not fear it. But today will not be that day. And as that happens, you see him using the Force to swing his cage backwards and forwards. His cage swings back, smashes into another cage, opens up, and Fasala lands on the ground, surrounded by some drain gear. So back on the vessel, Quart has got a hiding place. He jumps out and manages to make a thug surrender by aiming his lightsaber at his throat. The ship then heads back to Nal Hutter, and the pirate tries to stop Geode, who's in the pilot seat. So Affy goes behind him and puts a blaster to this pirate, and then to Affy's back, there's then a droid pirate that puts a blaster to her. Back planet side, the Drengir are getting a lot of the huts, thugs and things, and then Fasala and the Ox ride a Blixus in and save them. Now, Blixus, you get to see one in the Clone Wars episode Kidnapped. They are barely in the canon at all. You can find them on Scarif, and they share ancestors with a Vixus, a Sarlacc, and a Rathtar. They're approximately 6.48 meters tall and 13.33 meters long. They're amphibian, and they're like a giant armored squid crab thing. It's kind of like the top half is like a shell like a crab, and the bottom half is somewhat crab-like, but with like squid tentacles and things. They're quite bizarre. Then, back on the vessel again, you've got Obratuk who uses five lightsabers to slice up the droid behind Affy, saving her. Meanwhile, Jabba is trying to undermine Scarabda, back planet side. Fasala and Ishnar then enter, and Fasala says that the Jedi didn't do anything, and Ishnar confirms that they believe Fasala. Obratuk then comes down to the hut base and shows that the pirates are all tied up. Scarabda then recognises them as Jabba's thugs, and it confirms that Jabba was trying to destabilise the alliance between the Jedi and the Huts. Fasala says that they will continue to help with the Drengir infestation on the planet, and then thinks to himself that a true Jedi is never alone, thinking back to his ponderings on Talbota. So that's where comic number 7 ends, and then comic number 8 starts. It's been several months since the previous comic, and also several months since the book Race to Crash Point Tower, which I think I said at the start, I tackled a few weeks ago, which runs concurrently to The Rising Storm, so if you want to hear my review as well as towards the end the spoilery details of the plot, then make sure you check that out because it is a really, really good book. But the friends are now reunited, so you've got Zine Rala, you've got Lula Talasola, you've got Ram Jomaran there as well, and they introduce Ram to Fasala and Quart, and Fasala and Quart then introduce Ishnar. Now Ishnar obviously is the person from the previous two comics, and Ishnar's a great chef as well as a great warrior, and after seeing how the Jedi act, she wanted to be a part of it. Zinral is happy that she's reunited with her friends, but she thinks about Crix. If you want to know more about Crix and Zinral and things, go back and check out Volume One of the High Republic Adventures comics that I sorted out a few episodes ago. 
So it then shows what is Crick's up to. Well, he mentions the artifact to Markeon Roe that seemingly destroyed some of the Jedi. If you want more information on that, you need to read the Rising Storm book. And if you've read that, then In Fallen Star, it goes into it a little bit more too. And so does the end of the High Republic comics by Marvel. And the term used to describe this thing is the leveler. So Crick says to Markeon Roe that he wants to destroy the Jedi Arda and all Force users. Markeon Roe says that he must prove himself capable to assist further with his plans. Then back to Starlight. The gang are all sort of laughing about Lula's bad cooking and bonding and catching up over the last several months and things. It goes back to Crix and shows that he has got three ships and goes to Takodana. Now, just Takodana is the place that Mars Kanata is found. It's first seen in The Force Awakens, and Mars Kanata is over a thousand years old. I'm not going to delve into more information about Takodana, but it's like a foresty world. You see it in The Force Awakens, so you guys should all recognise what it is. And to clarify, this is like 260-odd years before when we see Takodana in The Force Awakens. So Crix and the Nile are going to try and attack Maz Kanata. What they're meant to do is go there, do some damage, and then leave, get a bigger fleet, and then while everyone's kind of scrambling and dealing with the initial attack, then the Nile attack with full force, causing even more havoc. After Crix sees the area, he believes that they can all just do it themselves, just these four ships. One of the Nile is worried about fighting the Jedi again, and Crix is angry with this comment. He isn't sure exactly who said this comment, so he says that when he finds out who said it, they will be killed because cowards deserve death. It then shows a couple of cool panels of a female Jedi Kyozo called Sav Malagan making tea and then she hears a noise, goes outside and sees four Nile ships approaching and she comments that she feels bad for them. So a Kyozo is actually a species that first seem to appear in the Clone Wars. There's a character called Embo, who's a bounty hunter. You'd recognize them because they have a disc-like hat on that they use, both as a shield, sometimes as like a sled thing, and also as a weapon. It's kind of like Captain America's shield from the Marvel Universe, but worn on someone's head. And the species Kyozo are from the planet Fatrong. The gravity on this planet is incredibly heavy, which means that they have very dense muscles and very good reflexes, especially when they're on planets that don't have a such high gravity. It makes me think a little bit of that area in Dragon Ball Z where they train with really high gravity. Kyozo are known to be very honourable. A lot of them go into mercenary work and bounty hunter work and things, and they're known to stick to their word. And the name Kyozo is actually from the film Seven Samurai, because there's a character in that movie. And obviously Star Wars takes a huge amount of influence from both samurai movies and a lot of Asian culture movies, but also from westerns and such like. And Embo also features it in the Aftermath trilogy of books and, and quite a few other places here and there. So back to the story, it shows that Torben Buck, also known as Buckets of Blood, and the Jedi Master at Cantum Sai are both meditating. The Padawans, and with well, the gang that I've just spoken about who are all Padawans, then appear with lots of questions before they embark on their next mission. The questions generally centre around what happened to Yoda, where's he's gone, did Loden Great Storm turn to dust, and those sorts of things. It then cuts back to Takodana and shows that Sav Malagan jumps from Nile ship to Nile ship with two purple lightsabers and is pulling the Nile out of their ships and then destroying them. In addition, the ships are shooting each other, missing and hitting their ships, and Sav remains untouched. After all the ships bar one is destroyed, the final ship then jets off and bails, and that final ship has got cricks inside of it. And I want to clarify the action from Sav jumping from ship to ship is amazing, I absolutely love it. 
So back on Starla, it shows that Cantum Psy explains that the Nile send small forces to attack certain worlds and then follow up to then target the first responders and people trying to assist. And they believe that the cell that is doing a lot of this damage has got cricks at the helm. They suggest that Zine Marala stays behind. She confirms that she wants to help and she won't let her feelings get in the way. She confirms that her connection to cricks is long gone. Cantum Psy and Buckets of Blood are somewhat sceptical, but they said they will allow it, but they will discuss this moving forward. Back to Takodana, it shows that the Nile did no real damage to Takodana's castle, as in Mars Kanata's castle, or the Jedi Temple. All that has happened is there is one window that got broken. As Sav is looking around the wreckage and things, she finds two of the Nile that are sat there asking for help after they've been somewhat crushed by their crashed ship. Sav confirms that Mars is sending a crew to assist and Starlight Beacon are also sending some fighters to assist too. And then the final panels of this comic show that Crix gets back to where the Nile are and he amasses some troops to attack Takodana and destroy the Jedi Temple. And that is where issue number 8 ends. Now that story will continue in the third volume of the High Republic Adventures trade paperback collection and whatnot, which I will be tackling in several weeks time. But before I get into, you know, what's coming up and those sort of things, I've got one more comic to go. Now, this is the High Republic Adventures Annual 2021. So there are five stories within this, and they're all quite short stories, understandably. I'm going to go through each of the personnel as I go through the stories, and all of the stories are prequels to this volume in some manner. Some of them predate Light of the Jedi, some just predate The Rising Storm, and some are just before these comics that I've just tackled. And so with that in mind, let's get into things. And I want to preface to say that these stories are obviously quite short. There are five of them, and of the five, I think two of them are really good, and the other ones, they're right. They don't necessarily add much. They're definitely not an essential read, but I suppose they couldn't really have essential reads as part of an annual, just in case people do miss it. But uh, with that in mind, let's get into the first story. So the first story is called Set for Life. It's written by Charles Saul, and the art is done by Sam Beck. And for all of these stories, it seems like they're written by one person, the art is by one person, and the colour is also done by one person, apart from one story which has a separate artist and colour artist. But I'll get to that. So the story starts with Loden Greatstorm, who's a character I've only really spoken about a little bit because he primarily features in the Light of the Jedi book, and then he features in the Rising Storm somewhat as well. So if you want to find out more about him, go check out those book reviews that I did. It's Loden Greatstorm along with Indira Stokes. You've also got Bell Zetafar, who is the Padawan who features quite heavily in the trilogy of books thus far. And then there's also Porter Engel, who is an Ikrakian. He's also known as the Blade of Bardota, but he's like 300 years old. He's one of the fiercest Jedi in the High Republic era, but he has kind of like retired his swords because he wants to follow his passion, which is cooking for Jedi and going to remote outposts and helping people. So these four, along with Bell's Charhound, which is basically just a dog that's imbued with fire. There's a couple of Pokemon like Hound Door and Hound Doom that remind me quite a lot of this Charhound, but that's Bell's dog. They're on the planet Ilfronna and they're a Jedi outpost. They're told that a nearby mine has collapsed and it has trapped someone. So Bell, Loden and Ember go in a vanguard to try and help. Now a vanguard is very similar to a vector. A vector is the normal ship that a Jedi uses in the time of the High Republic. It's quite minimalist and things. A vanguard is somewhat the equivalent but on the ground. It's like a, a small tank. It's got some degree of defences but it's fairly minimalist. They use a vanguard instead of ships because there's some sort of issue with the magnetic 
side of things to do with the planet. So if you fly a vector above, you wouldn't actually be able to fly nearby. So they'd have to jump out from really high up. And one of the things between Bell and Loden, which is established in Light of the Jedi, is that Bell is quite competent at most force power-esque things. But one thing he struggles with until in Light of the Jedi is jumping from a really, really high height and landing and using the force to cushion your landing. You know, it's something we see in Star Wars quite a lot, but we don't really see many Padawans struggle with that. Well, this is before Light of the Jedi, so he hasn't really got to grips with it. So Loden says, instead of delving into those things, let's just take the Vanguard. So the three of them arrive, and it's confirmed that some droids were lost trying to find this person and save them. Bell tells Ember to stay outside of the mine, because if something happens, Ember obviously doesn't have force powers, so can't really help. So Bell heads in with Loden. They find the person who is trapped and he's trying to mine the biggest gemstone he's basically ever found that could make him retire and parts of the mine that have collapsed have trapped him in there but he's still able to move around and things. They then use the force to try and keep the mine slash mountain from collapsing any further trying to keep it at bay. They tell the guy to come out and leave the gem but the guy continues to try and mine for this gem. Rocks start to fall and then Loden says to Bell that he needs to get out. Bell starts to protest so Loden uses the force to push Bell straight out of the mine. As that happens there's lots of rumbling, lots of dust comes out of the mine entrance and then Loden comes out holding the guy. The guy has got the rock in his hand and then Loden tells the guy that he must help others. Use this as an example where we, the Jedi, helped you out. Try and live your life going forward to help others. Use this as a lesson. The guy apologizes that he caused any trouble for the Jedi, agrees to what Loden says and then leaves. The story then ends with Loden giving Bell a somewhat of a speech and I'm just going to read it out to you guys. So Bell says, why did you do that, Master Great Storm? And Loden says, Jedi protect life and the light. We do not protect people from making stupid decisions. That might be even beyond the power of the Force. Do not expect perfection from others. The only choices you should seek to control are your own. And now I have a question for you, my talented brave Padawan, Bell Zetafar. If you had known that would happen, that Freno would endanger both of us by his selfishness, would you have still gone in? And Bell says, honestly, Master, maybe, I'm not sure. And Loden says, that's all right, Bell. Someday, you will be. And that's where that little story ends. Now that's one of my favourite stories, mainly because I love Loden Greatstorm and more content with him just makes me happy. And I really like that end part of like explaining the thought process of the Jedi. You know, you can't stop people being stupid, but you can try and help curb some of the damage that gets done from stupid decisions. And I think that's a lesson that a lot of us could learn in uh, real life. But obviously that's what Star Wars is all about, is teaching people lessons. And a lot of the stories are aimed at younger audiences to try and, you know, coming of age stories, teach them about those things. Probably why I loved it so much when I was a kid and still do now. But with that in mind, let's move on to the next story. So this is called No Stone Unturned. It is by Claudia Gray, with art by Jason Liu, and colours by Megan Huang. So Leox, Affy, and Geode are the characters in this story. They are in the centre of this maze, and they take a gemstone. They were told that no one lived there, no one had for centuries, and so they take the gemstone, start to head back to the ship, and then are surprised when people appear who are very angry. The people then start to approach them with like sticks and pitchforks and such like, so Leox and Affy outrun them and just bail. They manage to get to their ship, Leox grabs his blaster and just holds it there as sort of security to make sure the villagers or whatever they are don't then attack. The villagers and whatnot call Leox and Affy thieves and off-worlders and things, and Leox says, I don't realise that this gemstone not only meant anything to you guys, but also I was told that no one lived here, so you can have the gem back. The villagers think that it's too late now because they needed the gem to be in a specific place in the centre of a maze at the specific time when the sun sets so that their prophetess could guide them. 
Leo Xnafi believe they can get there in time, and then it shows that they manage to. But they have to have Geode holding up the gem in the right position for the sun to shine through it properly. The villagers are incredibly thankful. They give Leox, Affy, and Geode a feast, and it shows that Affy has received comms from a Jedi. There is a new job for them, to escort Jedi to Starlight Beacon. And they say that must be a much easier job than this one was. And I believe that is what leads into The Fallen Star, which is Claudia Gray's main adult novel for the first phase of the High Republic. I told you some of these stories were short. I mean, I'm skipping over certain parts, but obviously some of it is just like action panels, which there's no real point in me explaining. But with that in mind, we move on to the next one, which is First Mission. So this one is written by Justina Ireland, and art is by Yale Nathan. So it starts off with Venestra Rowe meeting her new master, Stellan Geos. Now if you want more information about Venestra Rowe, who is an incredible character, one of my favourites in the High Republic, make sure you check out my review of A Test of Courage. I believe I did that sort of October time in 2021. It's a really, really good book. It's one of the younger reader books. I think it's called a junior novel, but it is still fantastic. I highly recommend it. But so Vern meets her master Stellan Geos, who's one of the main characters in the trilogy of adult books for the first phase of the High Republic, and he is also there with a Jedi who is a Keldor. Now the Keldor species is the same as Plo Koon, who is quite a famous Jedi from the prequel era. They are from the planet Dorin, and they need masks for their eyes, nose, and mouth. You first saw one of these species in The Phantom Menace, and then they are in The Clone Wars quite a lot, and there's also one in Star Wars Resistance. This particular Jedi isn't anywhere else, I'm not even going to give you their name, they're just in this one story. So Stellan wants to test Venestra. He wants to spar with her and then runs at her. She then uses the Force to slam him into a nearby wall, and then the Keldor Jedi says that maybe they should take her along to the banquet they're going to. So it shows that the banquet is between the Huts and some species called the Hynestians. It's for a treaty that was brokered by Stellan Geos. Stellan confirms that diplomacy is essential to being a Jedi. And while they're sort of discussing these things, the Keldor Jedi is about to drink something which is Povo Punch. Vern asks if that is Povo Punch, it's confirmed that it is, and Vern says that Povo isn't that like poisonous to the huts and it's a great insult if you serve it to them. So Stellan Geos realises this, runs over to the huts who are at a nearby table, and pushes all of the drinks away from them. The huts then thank Stellan and then pull out some weapons, it's confirmed that they planned to attack. Stellan then calls to Venestra and confirms that defence is the top priority. So then they start reflecting blaster bolts and things, trying to control the havoc that's going around them. Vern jumps off the back of Stellan Geos, slices a curtain, and this curtain falls onto some of the attackers. The Queen then confirms she's going to hold Jabba the Hutt hostage with ransom so that she can get paid from the Hutt Council. Then this little story ends with Venestra asking why Stellan Geos didn't sense this conflict would occur. He confirms that you can't sense everything and that you can't 100% rely on the Force. Sometimes there are surprises. And that's where this story ends. Now I really like that story, not because of the whole hut Hynestian part, but once again it's about a Jedi and a Padawan learning together and we don't really get to see Vern interact with Stellan very much as a Padawan because when we're introduced to her in A Test of Courage, she's already a Jedi. So with that in mind, we move on to the penultimate story, Crash and the crew do what they do. So this is written by Daniel Jose Older and the art is by Jesse Lonergan. This story centres around Lena So, who is on Corellia, which is where Solo A Star Wars Story takes place in the first act. It's where Kira and Han are actually from. And Lena So is the Chancellor at the time of the High Republic era, or at least phase one of the High Republic era. And she's going around on Corellia, you know, waving to the crowd, kind of showing her face, that sort of thing. And Crash and her crew are the security for this, because Crash is a Corellian local, so they know the city and things a lot better than any of the Republic or Lena So's personal security would know. 
So there's quite a lot of panels here. There's, it's quite cool artwork and paneling and things, but kind of skipping through certain elements. Crash and the crew, they're checking in with each other, making sure there's no disturbances and whatnot. Then it shows a Nile who's called Rasprilla, who is sending out droids to cause a bit of havoc. And the crew see these droids coming out. Now, this Nile Rasprilla is actually in the book Midnight Horizon, which is also by Daniel Jose Older. Crash's security crew managed to destroy all of the droids after a few panels you get to see it all, but one falls near Lena So. It was shot out of the sky, it's falling and is about to hit her, and then her Targon jumps up, grabs it, and saves her. A Targon is kind of like a lion thing. It's like a pet that Lena So has got two of them. So the Targon saves her, and then the Nile communicates with someone else, confirming that they got all the information that they needed for their next action. So obviously these droids were just kind of recording what the security levels are for Lena So. And the person that this Nile communicates to is someone called Sabata. Now Sabata is actually one of the sisters. Now one of the sisters that was in the issue 8 of the High Republic Adventures in Crix's cell, and is suspected to be one of the people who questioned, aren't they scared about a Jedi attacking and things? You know, the one that he basically yelled at and said, you know, cowards deserve death, that sort of thing. They were one of those people. And also at the end of issue 8, when Sav Maligan finds two Nile among some wreckage who ask for some help, they are also said sisters. So a couple of nice little connections there. But yeah, that story is quite small and insular and quick. So move on to the final story. The final story is called The Hall. It's written by Kevin Scott and the art is by Stefano Simeone. It shows that the Nile are attacking something called the Vault. There is treasure within it and there are some droid guards and whatnot and they're trying to breach the defences but they can't quite get in. Then a ship appears and Lorna D lands with some scav droids. The scav droids manage to destroy the defences and so... Lorna D and this other Nile manage to get up to the opening of the vault. The door opens, and who's inside? Porter Engel, who says, surprise. It's confirmed that this was a trap set by the Jedi himself, and he manages to knock out the Nile really, really quickly. He destroys all of the droids, and in this commotion, Lorna D bails in her ship. Engel communicates with Maru, who is on Starlight Beacon, and confirms that he is now on his way to Starlight Beacon with another haul. And he says this while holding a near unconscious Nile leader, who was the one who kind of started this attack. And it just shows a little bit of the badassery that Porter Engel has. And it's worth mentioning here that Porter Engel is getting his own, I think it's a mini series, it might be an ongoing series, but he's getting his own series in the High Republic in the second phase. It's going to be written by Charles Saul, because I think Porter Engel is one of Charles Saul's favourite characters. And he's definitely one of mine. He is a badass who loves to cook. You know, who doesn't love that? Maybe the Danny Trejo of the Star Wars world. But Porter Engel, he's 300 years old, as I said slightly earlier in this show. And so the previous phase of the High Republic is set about 150 years before this phase. So Porter Engel's going to be in his prime. But yeah, that, my friends, is the end of the annual. I said there's loads of little stories, a couple of cool connections and stuff, but it's just a bit of fun to go through. And um, these annual stories, as well as the three issues I've already mentioned, they were in the second volume trade paperback of the High Republic Adventures. So in a few weeks' time, I'm going to tackle Volume 3. I'll have to see what story arcs are where, see if the trade paperback collection is going to be out. I know that the Galactic Bake Off special issue is going to be included in the next trade paperback, so I'm very intrigued to see what that's all about. I do actually have the comic, I just haven't read it yet, but it's just a bit of fun, isn't it? But yeah, that is where this episode ends, really, guys. So I'm just going to give you guys some more information of what's coming up and a few other bits and pieces. So next week, I'm going to be doing the Out of the Shadows book review, which is the last book for the first phase, but the second wave of the High Republic. It serves as a sort of sequel to Into the Dark, as well as A Test of Courage. 
There are some new characters in there. There's some recurring characters in there as well. It was a really fun book to read and it was a young adult novel as well. It is set after The Rising Storm and Race to Crash Point Tower by a short period of time and then that'll wrap up pretty much all of the second wave stuff for the high republic on this channel aside from the edge of balance manga and i'm waiting for the second volume of that to arrive and then i think i'll tackle volume one and two of that in one go and then I'll be able to move on to the final phase, which is what's going to include the third volume of the High Republic comics, the third volume of the High Republic Adventures comics, as well as the Falling Star book review, Midnight Horizon book review, and Mission to Disaster book reviews. I'm currently reading through Fallen Star. I'm about halfway through it at the moment, uh, so that'll be fun to do as well. And then I think the week after next week, I'm probably going to do Trail of Shadows, but I've read the first three Trail of Shadows issues and I haven't read the last two. And the last one reveals that it's going to be around the time of Fallen Star. So I need to read that before that week and then figure out if I'm actually going to tackle that before I do the Fallen Star book review. But I'll confirm that to you guys probably next week. I'm going to try and make an effort to read uh, Trail of Shadows. Then the week after that will likely be the third volume of the High Republic comics as well. But once again, I've got all of the issues for that. I've read the penultimate issue, but I have not read the final issue yet because that's due to be delivered very soon. So I'll need to look into those to work out if they do spoil the Fallen Star or not, because ideally I want to do the Fallen Star book review before I start tackling Wave 3 content, which is inevitably going to spoil what happens in the Fallen Star, because there's a big event which anyone who's been paying attention to the High Republic on social media will know what this big event is, but I don't specifically want to spoil that as of yet. Then the week after I do that, then it will probably be Podamarin, the next volume of that. But I may swap things around a little bit. If I haven't finished doing the Fallen Star, then I may put Podamarin slightly earlier. But I'll, I'll kind of have a little look around. I may change some of the orders and things. But once I have a better idea of this sort of content, I'll go from there. Because I do ideally want to finish the High Republic stuff because there's not going to be any more High Republic from now until October, I think, is when the second phase starts, which is, as I said, 150 years before the phase I've just been tackling here. Like in addition to that, we've also got the Han Solo and Chewbacca comics coming out. We've got the Kenobi comics coming out. Uh, and there's going to be no doubt other mini series that are announced. So I'm going to kind of play it by ear a little bit over the coming weeks. I do need to tackle the batches of Crimson Rain comics. They are seemingly starting to intertwine a little bit. So I feel like I am going to do what I did with War of the Bounty Hunters, which is do one episode tackling four or five comics, each being, you know, one Afra, one Vader, one Star Wars, one Bounty Hunters, and then one of the titular comics, Crimson Rain. And then we'll kind of go from there but um that's a general idea of what's coming up on styles comics and canon in the coming weeks and i don't want to have this outro too rambly and stuff so i'll just say make sure you subscribe on youtube and you've got my star wars episodes in playlist as well as a lot of other things in playlist so it's a good place to start also i want to get my subscriber count above 100 so i can change the channel link name uh, in addition to that please follow on social media at genuine chit chat uh, you can also share the show you can rate and review on good pods apple podcasts on spotify and any of those sort of places you can also share on social media anything like that and if you really want to help the show out, please consider checking out my Patreon page, patreon.com slash genuine chit chat. A link to it is in the description. And if you become a patron supporter for as little as £1 a month, then you get access to the audio exclusive content. Then you get access to the exclusive audio feed. So there's a link there you can put in the podcast app of choice, or you can listen on the Patreon app or on desktop, wherever you so desire. And you get access to 
Exclusive Afterthoughts episodes that me and Megan do at least once a week. You get early access to genuine chit chat episodes. So when I release part one and part two, you get access to both parts when part one drops. As well as that, you get early access to a few other bits and pieces. I often get book reviews finished before Saturday, so I'll often put those on that feed as well a few days early and lots of other things like that. So you get to contribute to the show. You get to help the show keep on running, both this one and genuine chit chat. You get behind the scenes stuff for like guest lists and early access to the photos of the comics that I talk about on this show. You know, normally. I post on social media, you know, between Saturday and Tuesday, depending on how busy I am, but you get early access to a lot of those things as well. So if you want to contribute to the show, get some bonus content in as well as some early access to stuff, please consider checking out my Patreon page. But that is going to be enough from me, guys. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. I'll talk to you guys next Saturday with my book review of Out of the Shadows. And as always, guys, may the force be with you. The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.